on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We react to the news that Joe John Finley and Seth Luttrell will be named co-offensive coordinators for OU. And then Josh Pate joins us to review the Power 5 Conference Championship Games. And we finish up with our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right, our man Michael Hostie will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. Beautiful Wednesday, November 29th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Crap. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of November, all you got to do is visit Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now recording this Wednesday morning, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Big episode, Ted. We've got offensive coordinators and Josh Pate. Let's go, man. One of the best episodes of the year. We got a lot happening. The, the college football is uh, the focus of attention right now in the sports world. I love it. We also have our live show tonight. Are you nervous? Ooh. We'll wing it. Not it's yet. fine. We we don't really have much of a plan. It'll be it'll be fine. I wasn't nervous until you mentioned it. You know, but now I am. People already paid for the tickets. How I mean, how bad could it be? All right, no, but low pressure. Low pressure. We'll let y'all know how that goes. Let's dive into the OU stuff. Reports that Seth Luttrell and Joe John Finley will be named co-offensive coordinators. Ted, I would say that we can confirm said reports, even though it is not official as of this recording. But what do you think, man? These are a couple of our guys. I'm fired up. I'm so fired up. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Um I, I really think it, it's going to work out well. And, you know, it may not be it may not be the splash that people are or maybe hoping for or looking for. And it usually is like that whenever you hire from within and, and it's names that are already there and affiliated with the program. I mean, I understand that to a certain degree, but whenever you consider – everything that's happening right now, the most important thing is how how do we become the best football team by September 1st of next year? And I think that is continuing with the continuity that you've got going on right now. 
you need to have uh, the best offense, the best situation in place for a young quarterback that's going to be getting his first start and action in Jackson Arnold. Um, And you do that with familiarity. You keep the same verbiage. You keep the same language in. uh, And it's the same with all of the players that surround him. He doesn't need to spend spring learning a new offense. He needs to spend spring working on chemistry with wide receivers, developing some of his skill set, like being the leader of the football team. That's what he needs to work on. So whenever you think about that, you think about the first year in the SEC and you need to be rolling, you need to have a system in place. You're going to be adding a bunch of guys from the transfer portal, at least that's my opinion. And I think it's always easier for those guys coming into a structure that everyone already knows. Right. And you just bring those guys up to speed. That's way easier than, you know, the whole offense trying to learn everything together. So I think continuity was the most important. And you got that. You also have, I, you know, Seth has been a head coach at North Texas. And I think that tenure at head coach and his tenure here as an offensive analyst has, made people forget how good he was at calling offense whenever he was coming up through the ranks and he had some offers. Uh, He, he was really close to getting that Kansas state job whenever it came open. And really he, it was something that he backed out of not Kansas state. I mean, maybe they mutually came to that, but uh, he was really close to, to, to having some some big time opportunities, and you know he's he done a really good job with quarterbacks. I and you take Joe John and his background and where he's been, and you know his familiarity with with the language and, and and the offense that they currently have in. I think it could be a great match. I, I'm with you, and I, has anyone noticed how North Texas did this season? Without Seth Luttrell? No. I forgot that there was a program down there without Seth Luttrell. <laughs> yeah. Well, five and seven. Yeah. And, and they were, you know, they were, didn't they play for their conference championship game last year and then they fired him? I think so. Or it was, I, I don't know how the timing worked on that. And all, all you but, have to do is go back and look at what they were whenever he had a really good quarterback there. Yeah. Mason fine. And the relationship that they had and Mason fine has come out and said, Hey, you know, Seth is that guy. So this is, this is one of those decisions. And I've seen some stuff from some OU fans. Like this is a, it's the easy way out. It's a lazy hire, which calling it a lazy hire, just that, that does not make sense to me. But when I look at these decisions, I try to I try to remove my relationship with those guys from the way that I view it. And in life, I'm a big pros and cons person. Like, should I do this or should I not? What are the pros and cons of the choice? And when you look at the list of pros, you mentioned it. Continuity among the coaching staff. Uh, these guys, Joe John Finley and Seth Luttrell, they already have relationships with the guys on the team. So that factors in when it comes to roster retention. 
which is extremely important now. And then they already have relationships with the recruits that are committed and they have relationships with the the future recruits that they're already targeting. That's very, very important. It's very, very important. And you mentioned it. Players, especially a guy like Jackson Arnold, do not have to learn a new system. You don't have to learn a new language as they head into the SEC. I'm not sure people realize how much of a challenge that would be. And you could say, well, everyone runs kind of similar things, but if if you have to completely hit reset on an offense and you're going and playing a bunch of new opponents, that's just not a great recipe. It's not. But this is where I'm at. These guys, they're not going to just run Levy's offense. You know, Seth's roots are a little different than what Levy was. Now, Joe John knows that offense inside and out. But, and I don't know what it's going to look like, but this allows Brent Venables to go to those two guys and say, hey, you know what? I think we need to get away from the tempo stuff a little bit. I think we need to be a little more versatile with our personnel groupings. Now, that all comes with having the guys on your roster to where you can get to those personnel groupings. But they can get some new stuff in the system and use language that the guys already know. And that's huge. And then you factor in, I said I was going to take my personal feelings out of it. They're both awesome guys. And I don't think people realize how demanding Seth Luttrell is as a coach. He's extremely likable, but there's an intensity that OU fans are going to enjoy to his coaching. Now, he's, he was kind of calm over on the sideline this year with, with his role as an analyst. But the dude's a former fullback. He's got some stuff to him, okay? I am wrestler. I I'm just a little perplexed as to why, and I don't think it's a big portion of the fan base. I'm just a little perplexed that some OU fans are so passionate about the fact that Venables didn't bring in someone that they knew zero about a week ago. That's the part where I'm like, really? And these are two OU guys. They played here. Normally, this is exactly what Oklahomans would want. These are our guys. And you're going to bitch about it? And they haven't even, we haven't even seen what it's going to look like on the field. And you're already saying it's going to fail and it makes you question Venables moving forward. I just, dude, I just don't understand that. Maybe, Maybe it's my crimson and cream glasses. Maybe that's it. I just don't get it, dude. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I I don't think I don't think anyone that is upset or is shooting down this hire I don't think those people can be taken seriously. Are there maybe some some better names out there? 
possibly. But again, that's not the most important thing right now. The most important thing right now is getting the, the most out of Jackson Arnold. And the best way to get the most out of Jackson Arnold is to not slow his progression as a quarterback down by bogging him down with learning another offense. And you said it, you know, a lot of people run a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, well, a lot of people in the world have the same type of conversation, except some of them are in German, some are in Chinese, some are in Portuguese. Like, you have no idea what those people are saying. Like, learning a new offense is learning a new language, and it's slow, it's cumbersome, it's difficult, and it becomes the main focus of what you're doing instead of developing skills, developing players, you know, your practice is spent going over like the, the X's and O's and the details, the install, instead of developing football players, we need to be developing football players. That's the most important. You can morph an offense into what you want it to be based off of your personnel you can have the same language and we can, we can have an offense that looks totally different next year and still have the same la language and still run air quotes, the same offense. So I think that's what people need to realize. Um, Seth, the trail is, he, I think he's going to add the perfect mix of pass schemes to, to what we've kind of got right now. Uh, like one of my biggest complaints about, our current offense is it's a it's it's heavily RPO driven. We line up, we count the box. If the box is light, we just hand off the zone insert. If the box is heavy, we pull it and throw the slant or the bubble in the RPO game. We're way too dependent on that. We are not a passing concept driven team. It's it's all about a numbers count. Set the trail has an air raid background and I don't know if people have noticed this in college football, but most of your past game in college football. Now a, a very heavy percentage of it was founded in the air raid system. I, a lot of what people do is air raid. Their passing game is air raid centric. And I think you're going to get a lot of that. You know, some of those schemes thrown in added into what we do right now. And, what Joe John brings with the expertise of the language and being around this offense and, you know, really knowing how to marry all those, all those concepts together with the verbiage and how they have run this offense, I think is a, a perfect match. I am. I'm excited. And I'm also excited to see you. You mentioned the passing concepts with Seth. I'm also excited to see what Joe John adds to the offensive attack you would assume and remember you got to get the players in there they need to go get some tight ends but he's a former tight end he's the tight ends coach you have to assume he wants to get some more 12 personnel out there and we got some good ones coming you know right I, we and I, I think that if you can get to that stuff if you can be more versatile with your personnel groupings, 
then that makes you harder to defend. It creates more variables for a defense. And I would assume that that is something that Joe John is going to want to bring to this offense. The thing, the way that I look at it is, oh, you had a top 10 offense this year. Yeah. Were some of the big numbers put up against really bad teams? Yeah. But other, other, other teams across college football are playing really bad teams and they're not putting up those numbers. So it is what it is, but you have this top 10 offense as a foundation of what these two guys are going to build. Like you, you have the foundation there, but they're going to be able to add some new wrinkles, some new things that I think can make this offense more effective. And I just, I have faith in these two guys to work together and, and build something really fun and and really effective more importantly. And I think one of the most important things is this keeps that entire offensive staff together. I, I don't know this for sure, but I think the domino effect, if it would have been an external hire, could have been more substantial than people realize. The potential domino effect, if that would have happened. And I'm glad we don't have to worry about it. I'm glad that Bill Biedenboe is going to be in Norman. DeMarco Murray is going to be in Norman. Like these guys that are all going to be absolutely determined to succeed together and to prove that Brent Venables made the right choice with Seth and Joe John, I don't know. That just I I I think this gives that entire group throw him at Jones in there. I I know that he hasn't been here long, and he said I've talked to him about it. You know he he really likes Oklahoma and he likes where he's at. He's like he likes his title. He likes what he's doing. I I think that group's going to be extra motivated to prove that, that this was the correct choice. And I think that's important. Like, I think that matters. Yeah. My my two biggest takeaways, just to reemphasize, two biggest things here. Number one, the most important thing is how do we get the most out of Jackson Arnold the quickest? And that is continuing the current language of the system where he is focused on development, chemistry with players, learning to be a leader, not learning a whole new offense, right? That's the first and foremost. That's the most important factor. Number two thing to remember, the this offense, like any offense, is malleable. It Because we're running the same offense does not mean that it looks the same. It's just means that you're using the same language. And obviously there's going to be concepts that they carry over and they continue to use. But it doesn't mean that they're not going to eliminate things that didn't work and we don't like and add things that we think fit our personnel better and fit what we want to be as a football team better. It doesn't mean that you are running the exact same plays as you ran this year moving forward. That's not what we're talking about here. 
we're talking about a language. It can be morphed and moved in a bunch of different ways. You have to remember that. I think everyone, well, not everyone, I think a lot of people, whenever they hear that we're hiring within or we're going to be running the same system, are thinking, oh, here we go. It's jet sweeps and bubbles for eternity. Not the case. If if Seth has any sense of humor at all, which he absolutely does, the first play against Temple on August 31st will be a jet sweep, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. You got to do it. Why Temple? What, bowl game? Bowl huh? game. Yeah. Just our, our, This is our preview of what the offense is going to look like next year. What are we going to come out of the gate with? Throw bubble. a bubble, throw a bubble, <laughs> and then run a jet sweep right after super hyper tempo. Or you somehow combine, call it the jubble, the uh, the jet sweep and the bubble combined Ooh. somehow. <laughs> Love it. Look, look at the creativity. But yeah, I am. I'm excited to see what these two guys are going to be able to be able to accomplish now. We've got a couple other things I want to talk about, but let's get to call your shot right here because we asked you guys your thoughts on these guys being hired as the offensive coordinators. This first one comes from OKC Cool Ranchers, who says, it's hard in college football to make staff changes with the portal and NIL. You can try to go get the best hire with a new system and alienate your current players and recruits. You can go with the safe hire and keep your current players and recruits on board. I feel like this is a mix of both. I think that's a good way of looking at it, Ted. Very good way of looking at it. Uh, I, I I agree with a lot of that. You know, it's if you listen to what a lot of coaches are saying about this transfer portal this year, it it sounds like you it, it it's going to be a nice thing to have as much stability as possible as you try and navigate whatever this is going to bring. It sounds like chaos. So yes, yes I agree. I, I think the the players are gradually realizing they can just test the waters in free agency. Uh, we'll we'll see yeah. what it looks like. That thing opens up on Monday and it could be intense. This other one comes from Chad Berryhill, who says, trust the process. We need to have faith in Coach V. Side note. There will be an adjustment period for anyone taking the position with a new quarterback. We fans need to keep that in mind and not set unrealistic expectations. So a couple things here. And this is something that I've had to tell a couple of people close to me. Do you think you know more about football than Brent Venables? Do you think you know more when it comes to what is best for Oklahoma football moving forward than Brent Venables. And that question is usually met with a, oh, well, no. It's that simple. You are paying him a ton of money to make important decisions like this. Yeah. If you trust him, I don't want to hear the complaints about this move. That's where I'm at. I trust Brent Venables to hire the right guy for the offense coordinator position. And this is the decision he made. So I'm on board. I I can understand some OU fans being a little hesitant, but once again, do you think you know more about offensive football than Brent Venables? 
ask yourself, well, go look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself that. I, here, here's the here's the other thing. I I never really heard a name that like made me feel like now that is the perfect match. You know, I mean, there's some offenses out there that I really like. You know, when you start talking about you know taste and and kind of what you think works best and, and what you like to run. I mean, there's a bunch of good offenses, but I I don't know that there was ever a realistic name out there that I, that I thought was, was going to be a real game changer for Oklahoma. You know, I mean, there's names, but I don't think any of them have been realistic. You know, I, I, I didn't know so many people had so much passion for Andy Ludwig or Brennan Marion or who else? Will Stein. Those people didn't know who those people were five days ago. Right. And they're, they're not everyone. Some people are really dialed in. I'm not trying to make it sound like there's not some OU fans that are really, really educated when it comes to college football and, and who the best coordinators are out there. I'm not saying that, but, and I know it's a, it's a vocal minority, but the, Oh, I can't believe we didn't get Andy Ludwig. Like what? You don't know anything yeah. about him or his system. There's there's a lot of stat watching, right? There's a lot of box score checking and and seeing where, where offenses rank, which step back and think if if you were somewhere else and you're thinking about offensive coordinator, you'd probably be looking at Oklahoma's offense and saying where they're ranked and the numbers that they've put up and say we need to get whatever they're we need to do whatever Oklahoma's doing, right? I and mean, that's kind of how that works. You, you're not you're not following them and and watching every single play like you do Oklahoma. And if you did, you'd probably find a lot of things that you don't like. Yeah, uh, it, the name Brendan Marion kept coming up, and one of the big complaints that a lot of OU fans have had this season is how fast this offense goes. Right, and we've talked about it. We, we think that you gradually need to get away from that, that that needs to be the change up, not, not what you're doing all the time. But one of Britta Marion's philosophies is create a fifth quarter by playing as fast as you can offensively. Yeah. I don't know how many people know that. I know that because yeah. I've seen yeah. him talk at a coach's clinic. Well, it, <sighs> I mean, I, I think he there's some exciting things that he does, but he's also been in coaching for like eight or nine years, and he's only been at one place for more than one year. Uh, you, it's just like boom, 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 boom. I I don't know that there's enough history there to really know what you're gonna what what you're getting. All right, so I. I, I I can't get on board with that. The other thing I want to hit regarding OU football, Sooners came in at number 12 in the college football rankings. Are we even paying attention to this? I, I know we've been so we've been so locked in on what's going to happen to the offense coordinator spot, but OU comes at comes in at 12. Uh that means they're behind Missouri, who's at nine, Penn State's at 10, Ole Miss came in at eleven. And the only reason I bring it up is 
Ted, what do you what do you think this means for OU's chances of playing in a New Year's Six game? It's so hard. I... It doesn't seem good, right? It seems like the team and I are are Missouri and Penn State are they being heavily rewarded for great losses? Yeah. Is that is that the difference? Because you look at Missouri, their losses are to LSU and Georgia. Penn State's losses are to Ohio State and Michigan. OU's losses are to Kansas and Oklahoma State. Yeah. Yeah. I you know, I don't know exactly how all of this works. It's a it's to me, it's a very foreign and weird situation. I know you have to be ranked in the top 12 to get in that large bid. Uh what I know is that both both sides both committees they love Oklahoma and they want Oklahoma if they have an opportunity to get Oklahoma over Missouri you can guarantee that they'll take Oklahoma over Missouri and I don't know about I mean I would assume they would rather have Oklahoma over Penn State as well but you know that one's a little bit different Penn State's got a huge fan base um I don't know how much wiggle room is in there for a lot of these these bowl tie-ins and everything. Um, I can guarantee you that if Texas wins and it beats Oklahoma State, I maybe even if Oklahoma State wins, I, I don't know how all that works out. But right, you have to remember that television and people showing up, all of those things matter big time. Bowls out there, if they have an opportunity – to grab Oklahoma, they will take Oklahoma. But it doesn't it doesn't look great for a New Year's six right now, according to to most of the the predictions out there, most of the people that are I, I guess in the know, but we have a chance. And that Fiesta Bowl would be really, really fun. Yeah. I I'm just trying to figure out why Ole Miss is ranked ahead of them. I I mean we got plenty of other stuff to worry about right now, but Ole Miss's best win is LSU. They beat them 55 to 49 in Oxford. Other than that, they have a win early in the season over Tulane. Uh, they got housed by Georgia. I just, I guess they beat Texas AM. But OU's got a better win than Ole Miss. I just, I, I don't know. Is is getting destroyed by Georgia and Athens a better loss than losing to Kansas in those conditions? I I guess. Does anyone think Ole Miss is a better team than OU? I don't think Ole Miss is a better team than Kansas. I just I, I'm a little confused. I'm a little perplexed. And and one of the reasons I cares because I want you and I, we, we played in a bunch of what are now new year six bowls and they're really fun trips. It's an awesome experience. And I feel like OU's resume is better than Ole Miss's, mm -hmm. but clearly all the experts on the old college football playoff committee, all those ADs that have all the time in the world to watch tape, they, uh, they see it differently. Well, yeah, I 
I feel like they get to a certain point. Like if you don't have a chance to make the playoff, I think it's just like, all right, whatever, just throw some names down. <laughs> you know, I, I think the further you get down the list, it gets more difficult, obviously, but I, they also care less about where the teams are ranked. And uh, yeah, they're throwing Ole Miss a bone here uh, for sure. So everyone seems to think with what the rankings looked like on Tuesday night that OU is going to be in the Alamo Bowl and the most common opponent you see projected is Arizona. So I went, started taking a look. I'm telling you all right now, Arizona's a good football team. They're really well coached. I don't know how much longer Jed Fish is going to be there, but started diving into a little of that film. Defense is okay. A defensive line looks physical. No Fafita since he's taken over a quarterback. They've been rolling a little bit. It may not be a matchup that excites a bunch of OU's fan base, but I would, if that ends up being the matchup, that ends up being the Alamo Bowl. I think we're going to have a good game on our hands, man. I'd be surprised if it's not. I think Arizona has a ton of momentum in that program, and they look pretty solid from what I've seen so far. Ugly jerseys, just atrocious jerseys, but. You know, I can't let that distract me from my initial evaluation of them of a football as a football team. It's it feels like a lose lose. Correct, for sure. You're playing a really good Arizona team that, you know, generally speaking, doesn't get the respect that they deserve with how good of a football team they have. And they don't have a traditional name. So if you lose to them, oh my God, what a horrible loss. And if you win, eh, congratulations, you beat Arizona. You know, I it's it's not it won't be looked at and viewed as it should, as it should be looked at and viewed. It's a lose lose. I I'm playing around with Ben uh Ben, Bill Conley's SP plus stuff right now. Arizona, Oklahoma on a neutral field. He's got Oklahoma by 5.3 points with the projected score 32 to 26. Well, 32.1 to 26.8. So, yeah, it. I'm telling you, I think it could be a really, really good football game. But you're right. I agree. It. It feels like a bit of a lose-lose for the suitors. I mean, it would. I think it would be a great football game. Agreed. I, and I would. I. I think it's a good matchup, and I would like to see the matchup. But if if you're wondering, like, how is it viewed, and what does it mean in the landscape of college football, it won't. It won't be as respected of a game for Oklahoma as you would like it to be. You're not going to be able to go and brag to people about beating Arizona in the Alamo Bowl and anyone care about it. You know what it is, what that game would be? A tremendous opportunity for Jed Fish to get even more praise for the job he's doing in Arizona. Yeah. And that's how he's going to be looking at it. Oh, yeah. 
huge opportunity for them from a recruiting standpoint, just a recognition standpoint. You go and beat Oklahoma in a bowl game. That is, well, that would be the most people have talked about Arizona football in forever. Think about that locker room for a month. You hyping them up with, here's your opportunity. Like, you want, you want to, you want to earn some respect. You want people to notice you. You go play well against Oklahoma and win that football game, everyone's going to notice you. On, on the flip side, what's Venable saying? Listen, guys, I'm telling you, this is a damn good football team. You spend a month trying to convince your team that Arizona's really good. I mean, it's well, that, that tilts heavily in their favor. And one other thing to consider and we'll talk more about this whenever we find out what the bowl game is going to be. I can't imagine Arizona would have many, if any, guys opt out for that opportunity. Yeah. No, On I the agree. OU side of things, we'll see. Right? Yeah. A guy like Tyler Guyton, I, I don't know. And just if anyone wants to say, hey, well, you got Jacob Sexton. No, no, no. You want Tyler Guyton in the game against Arizona. Believe me. Just believe me. And you yeah. got some guys that are making that have some decisions to make. I Arizona's a really young roster. They're playing a ton of sophomores. I just I don't know, be an interesting recipe for a football game, man. I know it. I it a really good football game. I I I I actually like the matchup and and I think it would be it's a big challenge for our team. I think it's a challenge you can you can win and and feel good about it. But don't expect anyone anywhere around the country to pat you on the back for it. Could we convince the Alamo Bowl to let that game be played in the state of Arizona? Yeah. Maybe. Let's go enjoy the weather. Let's go play some <laughs> golf, dude. San Antonio may not be bad. It was great for the Oregon game. I had a blast down there. So, Right up until T-Row locked his keys in his car. Oh, my gosh. Let's not speak of that. <laughs> we were podcasting at like 3 a.m. because of him. Oh, brutal. All right, let's get to our buddy Josh Pate. We're going to preview the Power 5 Conference Championship games. But first, Love's Travel Stops now has 49 RV stops conveniently located at Love's Travel Stops across the country. Love's RV Stops provide RV travelers with a safe, clean, well-maintained, and spacious place to stop on your journey. Whether you need a propane refill, RV dump, private shower, laundry facilities, or a dog park for your furry travel companion, you'll find that and more at Love's RV Stops. Visit lovesrvstops.com to research locations. Check availability and make a reservation for tonight or for months in advance. Visit lovesrvstops.com to make a reservation and find out why Loves is the heart of the highway. And of course, don't forget to grab yourself some of that delicious Java Hamori. The Land Doctors have a 120-acre property for sale in East Norman, located just 10 minutes from campus. This completely wooded property sits at the intersection of East 120th Street and Tecumseh Road. If you're looking for a quiet place to go spend some time in the outdoors or a nice little hunting spot on the outskirts of town, this place is for you. There are also development business opportunities with this property. Call Colton Cole to schedule a private showing at 
888-357-7645 or shoot him an email at colton at landdoctors.com. And celebrate with a Schooner All-American Ale, the official craft beer of OU Athletics from Coupe Ale Works, named after the iconic Sooner Schooner that races across Owen Field after an OU score. You can join in on the celebration with an ice cold beer from Coupe Ale Works. You can join it at the Palace on the Prairie at OU Athletics events at the bar at the tailgate and in the comfort of your own home. For more information on Schooner All-American Ale, visit SchoonerAle.com. Must be 21 to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Schooner All-American Ale, the taste of game day. All right, baby, Pate State material. Let's go. Here's Josh Pate. It is our pleasure to be joined by one of the most, just one of the most formidable voices in all of college football media. He is also a heroic defender of the model. Josh Pate is in the house. What's up, man? I um look, I don't know if heroic's the word. I fight to defend the model, but I have taken several, several bits of shrapnel and I got I got scars all over my body from defending that thing this year. So, and a lot of it's come from Norman, Oklahoma, and rightfully so, because when you go beat Texas, you get to do whatever you want to. And I just have to stand there and take it. Um, I, I will before we start, I'll tell you guys this. I was in the Detroit airport watching uh, Brigham Young in Oklahoma State last week. And you could tell so much of America wanted that OU-Texas rematch because when Brigham Young ended up winning, there was this deflation. And you're in Detroit. You know there is no Brigham Young population center there. You know there's no vested interest. And you look around, and first off, these people just watched the Iron Bowl ending like 30 minutes earlier. And so they're still waiting on the same flight. Brigham Young wins. And it's, what what are you disappointed about, sir, from Tucson, Arizona? I just wanted to see OU Texas again, and we ended up not getting it. Well, I know you meant Brigham Young loses, but I, I I knew what you were talking about. That they were cheering for BYU. I understand yeah. what you meant. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm backwards. Look, it's been it's been busy. I don't know when the last time you slept is, but I don't <laughs> even know how to spell the word anymore. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You're just so busy. You're just that's what happens when you're so popular. Yeah, Let's... yeah well, popular is one word. Do you understand, by the way, that um, I can't say that because HR will get on to me. There are policies at our company that I could take advantage of right now and technically just not work in December. And I couldn't be fired for it. And yet I'm, I'm, I'm flipping through the handbook. And that's one thing. And then I'm thinking to myself. You idiot. You worked construction before this. You worked in a fabric warehouse before this. If you if you ever hear me complain, Eichert, if you even hear me agree with you when you say that sort of thing, I want you to just hit stop record and we need to we need to quit. We need to just go do something else for a little little, little intervention action. Yeah, I mean, if you all start- the hard work through uh, September, October, November is for December, right? I mean, that's that's, it. that's when it's not work. That's right. <laughs> let's let's dive into these Power Five championship games. Let's ju- let's just go in order. Let's right. start. Uh, with the Pac-12 on Friday night. Oregon, we've seen these two teams play. They are a big favorite in this football game. Is Is that a disrespectful line to Washington, or do you does that feel about right to you? Because all Washington has done is won every game on their schedule. Right. I, I used to hear from Mimo all the time, point spreads cannot be disrespectful. It's impossible for a point spread to disrespect you. Now, it is possible for people to disrespect you when they talk about you. But if a point spread's disrespectful, you just go bet it. Like, you take advantage of it. 
I am concerned about it. Like I am concerned that so many people are backing Oregon and so many people are saying what someone like me thought even after that game, that it's like if you're in the minority on something and then all of a sudden it becomes the super majority, you kind of want to back away and you want to say, hey, no, 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 no. I, we don't need you over here. Y'all go back over there. And that's kind of how I feel about Oregon right now. I've, I, I was at the game in Seattle. I thought they were the better team moments after the game, but they didn't win the game. And so it was what it was that day. Um, they had two fourth down opportunities in Washington's 10 yard line, zero points, turned it over on downs again at midfield. And you think to yourself, Oh, that's flukish. Like any given game that goes one way or the other. Washington has held opponents. I think it is to 13 of 33 on fourth down opportunities this year. So that's a trend. Like they've been good on fourth down defensively, but what they're not good at, is third down. I had the number here. Um, they are 89th in the country. Third down defense, Oregon's top five. That's where the game's decided. It's a third down game because elsewhere, Oregon's got big advantages. The only advantage that Washington has that they could leverage here is precision in the passing game. If their receivers go off, I mean, that, that neutralizes everything and it's game on. But I think there are enough incremental areas where Oregon has the edge where I'm picking them to win the game. I'm going to go out there Friday night. I, I want to be there when they close the door on the Pac-12, I'm probably going to wear this black shirt and maybe black pants, black, just full funeral garb. Um, sad, but true. It is It is coming to an end. I think Oregon's going to win the thing. And if they do, man, they're probably in the playoff. I, I think they're in the playoff. I think the only head-to-head -head they could potentially have is like if Bama beats Georgia, it could come into play. But I mean, what, what a season regardless for landing. And look, what a season for um, for Kalen DeBoer up there, even if they don't make it to the to the playoff. Yeah, you know, a lot of people, whenever you don't know a whole lot about the two programs and haven't watched them in detail a lot, a lot of people kind of go with coach and quarterback, right? That's who's going to win the game. And this one, I, I know Bo Nix and Lanning are the, the far more popular duo there, but Gosh, it feels like that's a that's pretty tight. Whenever you look at coach and quarterback, this pretty good matchup. Yeah, it is. So that's what I tried to stay away from because if I did that, there is not a nine and a half point gap in head coach QB combinations in this game. That's where I look at defense overall. Um, I'm normally not looking at notes, but I happened to do my show last night. So I have them in front of me. Oregon's got the better pass rush, Oregon better on third down, a uh, better overall run game. So that's where I started to look elsewhere. And that's when I say incremental edges, I stacked up the incremental edges and over the span of four quarters, I just think that that's, what's going to carry the day for Oregon. Is if you think, okay, Washington wins the game. Is it just Roma Dunze goes, insane in the game is that what yeah, it looks like to you it, well, it's not just him so Adunze is the like NFL stud on that team but Polk's been good McMillan they got him back uh he's really good Bernard's good so they got three or four receivers they can throw at you uh, that allows Adunze to do what he does because you can't just bracket him and solo focus on him they got other guys that can cut you up pretty good it like I said if they go off I mean, if you get to the end of the first quarter and Penix is like six for seven for 183 yards already, it's game on. Everything about the point spread is, is rendered irrelevant. Some of these other edges Oregon has are going to need to be big edges because you guys have seen it, especially covering Big 12 football in years past. When you get a hot quarterback and, and some of these receivers just start turning 50-50s into 70-30s or 80-20s, the, the other stuff doesn't matter because that – 
negates so many other edges you may have. Yeah. Well, does this make you feel a certain way about the Pac-12's demise? I mean, because yeah. this is—it's been a great season. It's and maybe it's been the most entertaining conference for for the whole year. And it's going to go out with the bang with a great game on Friday night. And I, you know, I'm personally, I'm kind of sad it's going away after you know a month or two. I won't care anymore. But right now, it's like, dang, this has been a lot of fun. Um, how you feel about it? I appreciate the brutal. That is that is Teddy level honesty right there. It is. I'm sad. Now, I won't care about it in a couple of months, but I'm going to be real with you guys. I'm sad right now. Here's the thing I keep on coming back to. The Pac-12 put its best foot forward this year, and Southern Cal had nothing to do with it. That's what I keep coming back to. Everybody thinks if if the Pac-12's rolling, USC must be at the epicenter. They were an afterthought. It was Oregon State. It was Utah without their starting quarterback. Arizona coming out of nowhere with Jed Fish. Like, yes, that's a big deal. And I don't know if it was a one-year-only thing. I like to at least see in some parallel universe what the conference would have done with new leadership and emerging head coaches if, if we were allowed to move forward with it. Let's move on to the Big 12 championship game. A matchup that you correctly predicted before the season. And congratulations, sir. You deserve a lot of credit for that. But I'm going to use one of your terms here. How how can Oklahoma State avoid a complete and utter splattering from Texas in this game? Do you want to keep viewers, or do you just want me to be real with you? Just straight up, Pete. Come on, you know how we roll. They're going to get body bagged. It's not going to be good. They're going to completely annihilate them. It's a bad matchup. I, I, look, for I, am, State. I, I fully encourage Mike Gundy and his staff and players to package everything coming out of my mouth up. Put it in any hype video. Get, get your players completely indoctrinated with the idea that no one believes in you because I don't believe that Oklahoma State's going to win the game. It's a terrible matchup. Even when it comes to the, to me, the kryptonite for Texas, which is get their offense down in the red zone and let them be inept. Even there, Oklahoma State's red zone defense is in like the 60s or 70s. So even there, I think Texas is going to be okay. I'd be really surprised if Texas just didn't go off offensively. And so if you got it in the cards to score 38, 42 points on them, all right, well, that's that's game on. That's a different story. I, I just don't think it's there. I think it's a good story that Oklahoma State is in the game. I think that's about where the story ends, though. I'm more concerned with how you predicted this matchup. How did you know that a guy never carried the ball before was going to lead the nation in rushing behind what is still an average to below offensive line? Good question, Teddy. Uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a question, though, that I don't want to give away for free. When we do the pay-per-view version of this, I would, I would give that answer away. Here's what I looked at, though. I So I think it was – let me make sure I have the stat right. Okay, so this was the craziest stat in the world to me. Oklahoma State plays in the Big 12. And yet they played one team from Texas this year, and it was Houston. They had the most favorable schedule draw I had seen out of any of the Power Five relative to their conference mates. And I thought that somehow, some way, Gundy would figure quarterback out enough, which he did with Bowman. And the other thing is, I just thought way too many people were paying attention to all the dudes who left in the portal. They didn't pay as much attention to some of the guys they got. And anybody who they get is going to be underrated because – 
if they're properly rated, Bama will get them or Texas will get them. So I just didn't think they were a bad team. And, and I thought Gundy had performed at his best when there were low expectations. And frankly, I rolled the dice a little bit. But now that we're on the back end, I'm just going to tell you I knew the whole time and I had no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> how, how good do you think Texas is? I know you were you were at OU Texas. You saw them in person. How you know in the pecking order of college football this year? Uh, do you think they're elite, or do you think they're just short of that level? Well, so I was at the Bama Texas game too, and that's one where I didn't know what to make of it at the time because I did not know. Like, I mean, I'm look. I don't pretend to have the most trained eye in this sport. I think I'm watching Bama play at as high a level as they can, but I'm watching Bama turn the ball over pretty egregiously too. And Texas gets out of there with, I think it was like a 10 point win. And I knew at the time, I don't have the full context on this win. I'm going to need a few months. Well, I look back and I think I, I, I probably could have taken half a dozen teams into Tuscaloosa that night and they would have been able to really push Alabama. That's no knock on Texas. It just means I probably don't put the end-all, be-all stock in that win that I once did. It's a very good win, but it doesn't prove the world to me. So then I've watched them move forward. Some close wins there, which just means they're an imperfect team, but a really good team. I think they may be peaking at the right time. But in retrospect, you know, when I look back on their body of work, where I'd classify them as a really, really good team with the potential still to climb another rung on the ladder, like, like Clemson has done this before in recent history. In years, they've won a title. They've had some close wins during the season, and then all of a sudden, it's like they've put their foot fully down on the floorboard at the right time. If Sark and his team can do that, like they could win a national title. They could beat anybody. Um, I think right now they're playing at a really, really good level that could still bump up another level, if that makes any sense. Uh you can be real quick with this as we, we probably need to move on, but how good is Quinn yours? How does you think he stacks up with the quarterbacks on the other college football playoff caliber teams? I don't know that. I don't know that like the, um, the consistency has been there, you know, like quarter to quarter. When I watch Penix, I don't worry about him having a lull in production. I've watched Bo Nix. Like he doesn't really have dips or lulls in production, but at the same time, at least with Penix, you know, he doesn't have the run game to lean on. And even when Brooks goes out, like they've still got Baxter there. They've still got a complimentary football team that he can lean on. Some of these guys know they got to go win it. And fortunately for Ewers, that's not totally the case. However, when we get, and if they get into a playoff situation against a Michigan, against a Georgia or an Alabama or someone like that, he will have to eventually win a game. Stetson Bennett had to do it. He had to end up winning games, and, and he, they leaned on the other parts of that football team all year, but they played Bama in a title game, and he had to make about three or four throws in the fourth quarter, and that, that's literally the difference in winning a title and coming up short, pat you on the back, at least you won your conference title. So I think he's got the potential, but at the same time, I, like I said with his team, I think he is a really good player who has another gear to him that probably still needs to be hit. So – you you like Oregon, you like Texas. Let's move on to where you'll be on Saturday, and that is Atlanta for the SEC championship game. Can can the lowly underdog Alabama get it done? Look, I think you guys will agree with me. Uh, we've been sitting here for a long time waiting for Nick Saban to catch a break in this sport. <laughs> 
we, we're waiting. This this poor guy in Tuscaloosa, an, an underdog again. Uh, will the cards fall his way this time? I slightly lean Alabama to win the game, actually. So they're a six-and-a-half-point dog, and I, yet I, I think they have as good a chance, if not a little better chance, at beating Georgia. It's really close in my mind. The reason I went with Bama is um, but both of them are built to beat each other. Like, they build to face each other. And last week, one of them beat Georgia Tech by one possession. One of them survived miraculously at Auburn, and I couldn't care less about either outcome because I don't think by the second quarter Saturday that will be in anyone's mind, even though a lot of folks are focused on that this week. I think where Alabama has as good a chance to succeed against Georgia as anyone is Bama's vulnerability is especially on the edge of their offensive line and pass pro. Georgia does not have a linebacker that has more than one sack on the season. They don't get after the quarterback the way that the last two Georgia defenses have. So they're good defensively, but it's about how you attack. It's about the matchups. And if you give Milrow time, there is no quarterback that's been better in the country with time to throw at hitting explosives than him. And it's because of the element his legs give. And especially option stuff and on the perimeter, it's given Saban defenses fits. It gives Kirby Smart defenses fits. That's because it gives every defense fits when you can do that. And I almost think Georgia probably understands Milrow's going to get yards with his legs. What they think is let that be between the 20s and let's just lock it down in the red zone. Georgia's defense is in the 60s in red zone touchdown percentage, though. So Alabama, I think, is top 15 offensively. So I think there's some matchups that lean Alabama's way. My biggest concern with Bama and why I flip-flopped on this pick like four times yesterday is they're banged up on the defensive front. And what concerns me is Georgia first and 10, second, five, third and two, move the chains over and over and over again and sustaining drives and just not letting Bama get the ball enough and wearing Bama down. And if Bama were fully healthy, maybe I feel a different way about that. But that's my biggest concern, part one. But on the other side, Carson Beck will see the best pass rush he's seen all season here. And he's facing two NFL corners in Kool-Aid and Terry and Arnold. And they haven't faced that this year either. So Beck has not been mistake prone. If someone's going to force mistakes from him and force Georgia's offense into mistakes, this would be the moment. I just like by, by this much, by the, the width of this piece of paper, I ended up going Alabama to win the game. And if they do, by the way, I have no clue what the committee's going to do. Yeah, that's, that's kind of been the, the question is, well, Alabama and Texas played each other. What does that mean for the playoff? I think the, the really interesting thing is what does that mean for Georgia? Yeah. Yeah. That would yeah, be crazy. I, your your two time national champion winner just hanging there with one loss. It's wild. Yeah, I don't even. <clears throat> so the Georgia thing is like over here for me. Everybody, when I've watched on TV and whatnot, they keep going to the Bama Texas, and to me, that's not a debate. Texas beat them head to head. If it's roughly comparable, Texas is in. They should be. Whether I think they're the better team or not, like that, that's you got to honor results on the field. So it's never been Bama Texas to me. It's been Bama Oregon. That's the head-to-head potentially that it could come down to. And we got to see what Florida State does and, and we got to see what Michigan does. But I think that if it were to come down to Bama, Oregon, this is where I'm thoroughly confused. And I will admit readily, I don't watch the playoff show and I don't really dive into the resume stuff until the last week because I always think it's going to sort itself out. Well, this year, maybe it won't. So I was looking at the resumes last night for the first time. And I looked at the you know, the ranked wins, which is a dumb stat, but they keep it anyway. And I'm looking at the strength of schedule thing and Bama and Texas should be listed ahead of Oregon as far as I could see. And neither one of them are. 
And it makes no sense to me. And I've had people try and explain it like I'm five and it still makes no sense to five-year-old me. So if it comes down to Bama, Oregon, and you're just going to have to, you're just going to have to say to my face as a committee member, if it happens, Bama just beat the number one team in the country that hadn't lost in 29 games and has two titles in the last two years, but we're going to keep them out and we're going to put Oregon in. And that means no SEC team in the playoff. I would have a very tough time actually seeing that. It's easy to say it. I want the committee, if it happens to sit there on national TV and say, Bama's a 12 and one SEC champ, but they're not going to the playoff. I, I have to hear that and actually see it with my eyes to believe that. I no SEC team. It's just hard to believe that that would yeah. happen. I, I don't know. The Big Ten championship game. How, are we going to do this? We are we really going to do this? Here's the best question about it. How many points does Iowa's defense have to score for them to be competitive against Michigan? This is really good. I think 17. I think 17 <laughs> non-offensive points is the answer. So, so I want you guys to do an exercise with me. Okay, take your take your uh, left hand and go like this right here. All right, take your right hand and now like put it right against the left one. All right, now look up to the ceiling <laughs> and just pray. Just say a quick prayer for Iowa. Because 17 points, I think, is what we need off non-offensively. It's not even enough for them to force turnovers. They have to score the ball when they turn the ball over. Um, I don't know that I have ever lived in even an alternate universe where sports books are in on the joke, like sports books offering prop bets of over under a half a point for the Iowa team total in the first half and second half. You're, you're literally betting on whether they'll be shut out or not. I've never seen that before. That's Xbox stuff. That's like pros versus Joe's level stuff. That's if we took the good high school team and let them play Texas. That's that kind of stuff. So I think 17 is minimum what they have to have. There's a real world. There are several paths here with a spread of 23 and a half where Iowa covers and they get shut out. That could easily happen. Easily happen. I just don't know. I, I have no clue what the path is here. And I never talk like that in a conference title setting especially. But the, like Michigan played I played Maryland a couple of weeks ago. At least you could say, hey, Maryland's outmanned, but, you know, you got Taulia Tonga-Vailoa. They've got a decent passing game. If they just strike fire, maybe. There is no fire for Iowa. What do they do offensively? There is nothing I think that could happen. So it has to be non-offensive. You have to force Michigan into enough third-down situations and pray that they're dumb enough to put the ball in the air and you're fortuitous enough to pick it off and score uh, multiple times. And that's the path. Like that's your big 10 championship preview. I, I think Iowa could be in for a harsh reality. I don't know that there's a single team in the country that has benefited more from the division breakdown that they've been yes. in and things are about to change. Yeah. I think they know it. I think that, well, well, the, the plus part of that is, no one in their fan base expects anything to happen Saturday. So they could be 42 to three and it's, Hey, we won the division. It's a really, it's a really weird thing up there. Like Wisconsin was not happy with their situation and went and got aggressive in hiring Nebraska ditto Indiana ditto and Iowa. Now granted they've got much better results than Indiana, but it's almost like Iowa looks at the NIL and looks at the portal scene and says, we're good. Like we, we were happy in division big 10 but division big 10 is going away and you've got southern cal and oregon and, and washington coming into the conference and you're also going to have to 
literally be one of the two best in the conference. I don't know any path forward for Iowa unless you're just happy, you know, being a good, solid program. And there's value in that. There's there's a lot of value in that. But I don't know. I'd expect a little more if I were an Iowa fan. We'll get you back to the interview. But first... John Vance Auto Group has a deal for Oklahoma Breakdown listeners. Go to any of their nine full-service dealerships in Woodward, Miami, and Guthrie. Tell them we sent you, and they'll give you $500 off. That's $500 off just because you listen to this podcast. They've been serving Oklahomans for 40 years, family-owned and operated. No matter what your vehicle needs are, John Vance Auto Group has you covered. They carry domestic brands such as Ford, Lincoln, Chevy, Buick, GMC, Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, Jeep, and Wagoneer. John Vance Auto Group's goal is to give unequaled service and to exceed customers' expectations in every way. You can find all their information about their lifetime loyalty program, browse their entire inventory, and find the John Vance dealership near you at vanceautogroup.com. And attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is the one, one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A dot com. And head to the garage for hand-smashed patties, butter-toasted buns, and ice-cold beer. It's the perfect spot to watch any big game. And with all the garage locations being open at 10 p.m. or later every night, it's the go-to late-night spot. Visit eatatthegarage.com to find a location near you and order online from the garage in your neighborhood. All right, back to the interview. Yeah, we will... uh... We'll see what the future of that offense looks like. Unfortunately, Brian Ferentz not uh not in the future plan. So it was so it was so entertaining. So I'm I am gonna miss that. I'm gonna miss that as a content piece of Iowa football. Now, this is an interesting ACC championship game. Yeah, it is. You've got Florida State with, with Rodemaker instead of Travis. The the injury that was I mean so unfortunate for that football team. Louisville coming off a disappointing loss to Kentucky. I feel like a bunch of people are cheering against Florida State because they Dude. don't want to see the chaos scenario unfold, and they're like, Florida State's not one of the best four teams. Like, How do you view this game, man? I think Louisville's going to win the ACC championship. So last week, they were minus three turnovers and had a turnover on Dowds against Kentucky. I think it is a huge – even if this was week seven, it would be a huge bounce-back spot for them. But given that it's conference championship week and you're facing a backup quarterback, it's not just that in a vacuum. It's what Florida State has to be because they don't have Travis. They have to be a run-oriented team. Like last week, uh, their, their number one back had three touchdowns against Florida. He had to have that. I think he had 95 on the ground. It's not like this Heisman-worthy stat line, but they did what they needed to do. They could not put the ball in the air. Well, this week, they got to do the same thing, except this week – they're facing a top 15 run defense and they're facing a top 15 run defense that understands they're probably going to be one dimensional. And they're facing a Louisville team that for all the talk elsewhere, you got one of the best transfer portal quarterbacks in the country this year in plumber. Like he's the one who's been under the radar. Um, I didn't think anyone 
would be saying Louisville's got the quarterback advantage against Florida State, but because of injury, here we are. And they've got a really good run defense. I think they match up very well. And I also think that they're in a big do-up spot because of what they did last week. I think they're going to win the game. And if they do, think about the predictions I just made. Now, whether you agree with them or not, let's just, for argument's sake, say it happens. That means Washington as an undefeated falls, Georgia as an undefeated falls, FSU as an undefeated falls. So hit the number crunch button and reassess the landscape. Now what would that mean for the playoff picture? That's that's where a Texas and a Bama and an Oregon and a Michigan and Georgia's in there still even as a one loss. I don't know what they would do. I, I really don't know what they would do. Is that what we want, though? Is that Do we want a scenario where all the pressure sits in that conference room wherever they're meeting? I, here's what I'd want. So let's say I was not a fan of any team and I'm just an agnostic bystander. I think back to virtually every playoff we've had and there've been blowouts in the first round. That's because there have been teams that are prone to being blown out in the first round. If for example, we had either a Bama or Georgia, we had a Michigan, we had an Oregon and we had a Texas. You, you may get blowouts, but there is no team prone to being blown out there. You have four high-level matchups, or two of them, uh, and, and you have four high-level teams, dynamic teams. There is no TCU in that mix. You know, there is no uh, Washington of 2018 or whenever that was in that mix. You, you put Washington in this playoff or Florida State in this playoff, and they may deserve to be there. That, those are double-digit underdogs. You put any of those other four in there, th- there is no double-digit underdog, man. Those are competitive games. And so if I were just somebody watching in rural Idaho – That's what I'd be pulling for. I guarantee you TV execs are pulling for that. And I think deep down, although they could never admit it, that committee wants that to happen. I don't I don't necessarily know that it clouds their judgment, but I think that's what they want as well. Well, I I agree. We. Should we be finding the best team? Maybe. But I think everyone probably wants the most compelling football games, right? I mean, I heard the argument. Yeah, I heard Bill Hancock, uh, I think it was Heather Dinich that tweeted out last night a quote from Hancock, who uh, is the, I think he's the head of the committee or whatever his title is. But he said something that I thought was really misguided and frankly, he shouldn't have said. He said, uh, most deserving is not part of our criteria. It's not in our lexicon. It's never been a part of our process. We are about finding the four best teams. To me, it's a reckless statement, even as much as I want to see that, because that's really dipping into the more power rating sort of world. Now, I love doing power that, ratings. That's the JP poll world. Yeah. And it, so imagine how chaotic this world would be if the JP poll was being used to see the playoff, because I'm the first one to tell you when I put those things out, this is not a ranking. This is not how I would put teams in the playoff. I got FSU at 13 right now, but if they're undefeated, I think they deserve a spot in the playoff. I think they'd get boat raced once they got there. And my question is to, to anyone, like, how do you find that balance? Are, in other words, do you think this is Burger King where you just pull up to the window and you kind of combine your order in whatever perfect way suits you? Or do you think it's actual sport where things happen on the field and then based on merit, we, we feel the playoff? Because I get arguments from both sides. And I used to be, hey, let's put the four best in regardless But then at the same time, what am I supposed to tell someone who goes and wins every one of their games, including 
like Washington, for example, beating a team that I think is better than them. Well, that's the result on the field. It doesn't matter what my piece of paper says at that point. And, and so then you got the quarterback injury. And should a committee full of people be allowed to reassign value to your team because one of your key players is gone? I, don't, I just think a lot of that's antithetical to what competition is. So if you had to predict oh. the four teams, I know you're not a big predictions guy. What do you think the playoff ends up looking like when those little tiles flip over on Sunday? So based on my predictions, it would be uh, Michigan. This is in some order. It would be Michigan. It would be Texas. Um, it would be Florida State's not in. Uh, it would be Alabama, I think, makes their way in, and Oregon. I think those would be the four. So that means Georgia's out, and that's where I've, get, I've, I've gotten a lot of pushback on that. Um, but I look, if my predictions pan out, that's the way it goes. Uh, the big, big unknown to me is I don't think there's an upset potential in the Big Ten championship game. But if, if, if let's say, we get a situation where some of the chalk does win, let's say Florida State does win, and so you're looking at a situation where you've got one spot for a Texas, Alabama, Oregon. I, I think there's one scenario that no one has, has factored in. It's like 2014 when Ohio State didn't just beat Wisconsin. They beat them 59 to nothing as an underdog. And no one could have ever fathomed that. So all of a sudden the sentiment went from they're on the outside regardless to, hey, we got to put them in. There's no way we can keep them out. This may be unlikely. But what would you do if you turned on your TV fourth quarter Saturday, Bama's up 34 to 10 on Georgia instead of it being a razor tight game either way, like we expect, then all of a sudden, what do you do? Do you still say, hey, head to head rules the day for Texas? Or do you still say, well, Oregon was ahead of Alabama going into this weekend. That's the one thing that I think no one's factoring in because, and I agree, people think it's virtually impossible to run it up on Georgia. I'm just saying if it's a weird like outlier of a game, I don't know that that may not like invert a lot of people's train of thought at the at the 11th hour. Sign me up for it. That's what I want. <laughs> I want all the chaos because ultimately I don't care. I don't yeah. care what happens. I usually lean towards what's going to make the most people the most angry. That's that's kind of where I fall. Okay, I'll, I'll do one more then. One more. Okay, so. Texas wins in overtime against Oklahoma State. Just total dogfight. Oregon wins convincingly. Bama wins convincingly, like we just said. Is there any world where the committee looks and thinks Bama's resume is better than Texas to the point where the head-to-head -head doesn't get factored in at the end? I don't, I don't think there's a way, but I don't know because I freely admit I don't get the ways of the committee. I... I assume you could understand that if Texas gets left out, we will not be heartbroken here. I I understand. I don't. I don't. I don't think that's too difficult to um, to grasp. But you, you could imagine. Yeah. Think about this. If if Oregon is one of the teams that goes in over them, imagine Texas folks looking at the mutual opponent, Texas Tech, and they just boat raced them, and Oregon struggled to get past them. And they would have that just ready. That's in the hip pocket. They're ready to throw it out there. What if Bama gets in over Texas and they say, wait, you're, you're telling us we beat them in their building by double digits. First time since 07, any out-of-conference team has done that. And we're the ones that are going to sit out here? That's about to happen? Do you understand? 
Texas folks would dead serious look at you and say, do you know who we are? That's what they would go to. Do you have any idea who we are? And the committee would be like, they'd send their representative out there and he'd say, oh, nice weather we're having today. Well, that's the kind of answer I've been hearing from him for about the past month anyway. Yeah. Boo. Uh, Boo's got a tough it's job. It's just, just boo. It's just he's boo. got a, he, he's got a tough job. Now we've already taken up too much of your time, but there's one thing we need to address before you get out of here. You tweeted. You got some OU fans riled up, my man. Oh, I know where we're going. Okay. Let's, you let's, let's, you let's do tweeted this. that Texas A&M is a better job than Oklahoma. Now, uh-huh. You also said that Oklahoma is a much better program than Texas A&M. Yep. This is, as you can imagine, a lot of OU fans listen to this. <laughs> I'm going to give you the platform to explain what you meant because I don't want all of our fans being super mad at you, man. I love you. You know that. So here you go. Here's your platform. It, please explain, sir. Okay. I'm going to, I could do a Boo Corrigan response and just dodge this entirely, but I'm not going to. I'm going to meet it head on. Most of the time, when I find myself in these disagreements, a vast majority of my response is just, here's what I didn't say. So you took care of it, though. Like Oklahoma laps Texas A&M as a program. Oklahoma laps Texas historically as a program. So present day and historically. And I would never debate that in a million years. Their trophy case laps A&M. I would never debate any of that. All I was saying, and my, my entire philosophy on valuing a job is it is only today moving forward. And if I am Nick Saban, if I'm Kirby Smart, if I'm an elite head coach, what I think is capable with me there. So I have boxes that I want checked, like how I value or define value for a job. I look at um, resource pool, and that just means how much money can I make? How much money can I pay my assistants? Uh, Now NIL structure is very important and they're never gonna take a backseat to anyone down there. I want facilities checked and they're palatial down there. I also want at, I want administrative synergy, which I don't think they've had in the past. This is where Oklahoma's had a huge edge. And people have said, well, Josh, that's the value of a job though. And I agree. If I'm Nick Saban, if I'm a Nick Saban caliber guy, the first thing he did before he took the Bama job is he did a full assessment of sort of the, the bureaucracy and the administrative state of Alabama. I know this for a fact. He circled some names and he said, this person, this person, and this person is a problem. You can either have me or you can have them. You can't have both. And there was some disassociation that happened inside the program before Saban took the job as a result. What I'm saying is when you hire the right coach, and if that's me, I take care of all that before I agree to walk in the door. So that's out the window or you're not getting me. So if I clear all the administrative BS, if I have the synergy and I have all the boxes checked, I don't think there are very many jobs that take a front seat to Texas A&M. It wasn't just Oklahoma. I don't even think they deserve to take a back seat to Texas. And folks think Texas is the best job in college football. I, I just don't think they take a back seat if everything is properly leveraged. I've never thought A&M struggles because they lack the resources. I think they struggle because they've made terrible hires. They haven't made terrible hires. They haven't made great hires, which is still a crapshoot, even if you got all that going for you. So every point Oklahoma folks made about the program, I agreed with. I never argued with it. And the synergy administratively, I agreed with. They've got it at Ohio State. They've got it at Oklahoma. They have not had it at Texas A&M. I simply believe the right guy walking in the door 
demands that as a predicate, and therefore it would be a moot point moving forward. That's all I meant. Hmm. Well, that works, but you've eliminated the biggest problem with the entire place with just kind of a stroke of a brush, right? The people that have built the the palatial facilities pump their money into the NIL that makes it so attractive and all those things. Like those are the people that you're asking to step out. Yeah. Uh, that's I mean, that's a huge step. If you can eliminate that and get those people to to take their their hands off of the program, then you probably got something, but that's been a problem, not just at AM, that's also been a problem at Texas. It looks like that's what Sark has done whenever he went to Texas. So maybe that's possible. So you said it better than I did. You should have just answered before I did, because that's that has been the problem there. But I'm also glad you said that's not an AM problem. It's a major college football problem. And I'm glad you brought Sark up too. So so you just hit like a grand slam for me. Um I don't think most of college football would have defined Steve Sarkeesian as a grand slam hire when he went to Texas. I think most people acknowledged he's failed a couple of times as a head coach. He kind of rehabilitated his image at Alabama. We're going to give him a shot, but it's kind of a roll of the dice. Let's see how it works out. The reason I say it that way is Sark didn't walk into Austin like Saban walked into Tuscaloosa. He didn't have the gravitas to throw his weight around like Saban did. And yet, He started to deliver results. And as a result, what you talked about started to happen. Some of the tumblers started to fall into place. So Mike Elko does not swing that kind of weight either right now. And he walks in and there probably is some of those cobwebs that you still got to brush out of your face behind the scenes. In time, if he starts delivering, which always has to happen, if he starts delivering, then you afford yourself the equity to start giving an if or or an either or. And if that happens, and it does end up clearing itself out. If you sling blade some of those weeds out of the way, that's when I think you can put the pedal all the way down. Basically, what I'm saying is if AM ever gets to a spot where they can put the pedal all the way to the floor, I don't think there are many jobs better than AM. That's that's fair. Hopefully, hopefully that answer will make some OU fans love you again, buddy. Well, <laughs> I will take individual emails from them because trust me. I'll be able to read every one. I won't get many. So I'll be able to read everyone. <laughs> uh, Pate, you're the best, dude. Um, I'm so happy for you. You deserve everything you're getting, man. And we appreciate you taking the time, brother. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Well, Josh Pate is the best, man. Pretty thorough, little, little on each game. Explained himself. Oh, you fans are mad at that, dude. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean understandably, but you know, he's just got an opinion. That's okay. It's all right to have an opinion. Even if we (laughs) definitely disagree, but he's the man, uh, he's the man, he's the best. Go check out the late kick with Josh Pate. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first, do you have difficulty sitting for long periods of time or can't lay on your side due to pain? Well, it's a hip thing. And the only person to go see is Dr. Brandon Johnson at the hip clinic in Oklahoma city. No matter your age, the hip clinic has the experience and knowledge to help ease your hip pain and preserve your hip joint. Don't let the pain hold you back any longer. Don't just accept a hip replacement. Call the hip clinic today at eight four four keep hip or visit the hip Bishop McGinnis Catholic high school represents a tradition of educational excellence in Oklahoma city. 
Grounded in a faith-based education, Bishop McGinnis offers a college prep curriculum that includes 22 AP courses, participation in OSSAA athletics, and numerous clubs and organizations for students to join and grow. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? I had to go with Sean Lewis. Demoted during the season. Um, knocked down from the the offensive coordinator job there at Colorado to head coaching job at San Diego State, which is a really good job. Uh, I think they won 10 games a couple years ago there, and um, I I think he's a really good coach. He's done some really good things, and that's going to be a nice little opportunity for Sean. I, you know, he, he made an interesting decision when he left the head coaching gig at Kent state, which is a really hard job from everything I've ever been told about that job. When it comes to resources and investment from the school, it's just, it's not easy. You're, you, you don't have any advantages mm-hmm. there and he did a good job there, but he gambled. I, I would say it was a bit of a gamble took the offense coordinator position at Colorado. I believe he did that because he thought he could get a bigger, higher profile job by making that move. And I don't know if it worked perfectly, but it worked pretty damn well. Still worked. Yeah. And I, I don't know that. I don't know that we've seen like a bigger roller coaster in a college football season than what that Colorado season was like and uh he knew he was going to have to get out of there and be able to get out and take a job like san diego state i mean it's it's not a power five it's not you know it's not remember it almost was well remember that whole ordeal gosh that was that feels like forever ago yeah yeah they kind of rolled the dice on on that whole situation but uh it's a good job that you can win and it's in San Diego, man. How about that? Uh, can you I, can you be at a better place? You go from Kent State to San Diego. That is from a weather perspective. That is a uh, that's a big upgrade. Now, I you, you mentioned that good team they had a couple years ago. They won twelve games under Brady Hope that year. Mm-hmm. The only reason I remember that is because I called their bowl game in the Frisco Bowl with T Row on 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 the radio, and. I mean, Brady Hoke was able to have a 12-win season. You go back, you think Rocky Long, he won 10 games multiple times, 11 games multiple times. It's a place that you're going you're gonna to get some kids in the state of California that now know Sean Lewis's name because he was at Colorado, and are going to go, you know what? That offense seems fun to play in. Now, they're still going to be in the Mountain West, but there's no reason when you look at who is in the Mountain West that San Diego State can't have one of, if not the most talented roster in that conference. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's a good spot. He, I mean, this kind of ties into the my my loser, but he's going to be able to to attract some really good quarterback play at San Diego State. Now, he may not be able to hold on to him 
at San Diego State, but I think he he's going to be able to get some good names in recruiting at quarterback. He's going to become a farm system for Power Five schools at the quarterback position. Yeah. Well, we'll see, but that's got to be. I I thought the way I thought Dion did him dirty. I I thought that that was. I, I didn't think that was a professional thing. You know, I don't think that was a professional way of doing things. And I don't know. It just feels like karma was on Sean Lewis's side. Like, hey, man, yeah, that you got done wrong there. Hey, come live in San Diego and be the head coach here, which they have recently. I think they've invested a ton in that. I want to say they opened up like a new stadium or something. I, I don't know a ton about the program, but it is. It's a job I think you could have a pretty high quality of life with. And now, of course, the taxes, the taxes. (laughs) But, but yeah, I was, I was happy that Sean Lewis, I don't know, failed upward. I don't know if that's the best way to put it because I did, I, I felt like he, you know, what happened this year, the demotion, I didn't think that, I didn't feel right to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there's there's a way to to get some change going in the program and do it right, you know, and to not create uh, not create a toxic environment and and have a, like a weird weird thing going on in the staff and around the program around the the players not not handled very good, but he's going to be I I I don't think anyone across the country by the time it had turned into you know what show there at Colorado. Very few people across the country were viewing Sean Lewis in a bad light before or after that decision by Dion, right? I mean, right. It it didn't speak poorly of Sean Lewis, it spoke poorly of Dion and like the chaos going on there. They have a recruiting issue at Colorado right now. We're going to have a recruiting issue. They're going to have a portal issue. He's it's, probably going to lose all. How many players do you think are getting out of there? I don't know, but it just, it doesn't feel like the recruiting element felt like what was going to really help that program improve. And I, I don't know. They have like eight commits in early signing days in less than a month. And they've they've lost like a couple of their big recruits here in the last week or two, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I I'm still interested in how things are going to go there under Dion, but seems like reality is set in a little bit for that program. And yeah, he's gonna have to battle like hell to get that roster where it needs to be, but not gonna have Sean Lewis to do it because he's gonna be chilling in San Diego. <laughs> Tough. Who do you have as your loser of the week? I've got transfer portal madness. I mean, the the story from Brock Heward about Cam Ward already has received at least $10 million plus offers. He's not even in the transfer portal hasn't even opened yet. I technically that shouldn't even be happening. And he's getting million dollar offers like I'm happy that he's getting million dollar offers, but 
it is going to be impossible for the majority of schools to hang on to their best players. This is, it's a disaster for college football on, for a bunch of different reasons. Number one, I, you, you want your players, uh, you want to develop a relationship with your fans and your players and watch these guys grow from freshmen into contributors as juniors and seniors. And there's a strong tie between the program and the players. And now everyone, some people want it. Some people are forced into this, that, that you're just going to get a bunch of one year mercenaries and it's going to be difficult to build culture. It's going to be more difficult to recruit high school kids it's going to be, it's becoming impossible to develop players. You're a young player on a roster, a freshman, a sophomore, and instead of getting an opportunity to develop through an offseason, well, it's just, we're going to bring in a, a senior that's played somewhere else, plug him into a position in front of you, and you're going to be stuck, you know, not getting the coaching and not getting the development. I think it's, it's bad for college football. This we're not creating the we're not creating an environment to get the most out of all of the kids across the country. Development, I think, is going to take a nosedive. I think that you're not and and we'll see. I've been talking to some people and a lot of them are saying you're gonna you're gonna see some guys put their name in the portal that are gonna shock you. And one of the main reasons is why not take advantage of open free agency if you're a big-time college football player right now? Even if you don't want to leave. Yeah. Just the threat. It's like, hey, coach, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see, see what's out there. Now, there's a handful of programs where if you do that, they're going to say, okay, see ya. We can replace you. We're not worried about it. Right? Georgia, Michigan, like those types of places. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what surprises are in store for some college football fan bases when it comes to guys that are going to put their name in there. I I don't think anyone's immune. No, not, not at all. But it just, it's a good reminder now that, now that Oklahoma's got its offensive coordinator situation worked out, it's a reminder that until the rules change, the NIL operation for Oklahoma needs to continue to improve because it just might be the thing that is most important heading into the SEC, right? Building culture and all that, and that that's huge. But when it comes to competing with Georgia and Bama, Ted, you know how it is. You got to have dudes. And there are dudes out there that fit your culture. But they're going to want some money. That's just college football right now. And you don't want a roster where it's just a bunch of guys that only care about the money. That's not what you want. But you want a roster of extremely talented players that are going to play on Sundays that fit your fit your culture that are about the right stuff. That's what you want. But 
those guys are going to want money because college football, like that's the business aspect of college football now. So I continue to believe that now that it feels like the staff is stabilized and Norman continuing to bolster the NIL operation and organ get it even more organized. I think that is that is huge for this program until the rules change. Which who knows when that'll happen. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I it, yeah, it's it's gonna be wild and I I'm sure that we'll be both a victim and a beneficiary, but ultimately I I just don't think it's a good thing for college football. Um, you have to feel like there's got to be some stability brought into the system, and maybe that happens soon. Um, you know, I I don't know, but maybe this year and, and the chaos that everyone is is claiming is about to happen, maybe that's the the final push needed to get something legitimate and some defined rules in place that you can hold people accountable to. And you're never going to make everyone happy, but hopefully you can cut the players in on what's going on financially and just create some stability for programs to be able to develop young players and recruit young players. I hear you. All right, let's finish up with my winner and loser. But first... Elevate your tailgate with Chapel Supply and Equipment in Oklahoma City. Chapel Supply and Equipment has generators and inverters on hand that will give you all the power you need so you can take your tailgate to the next level. They've also got top-of-the-line heaters to help keep you warm during those cold tailgates later in the season. They're Oklahoma-owned and operated. Elevate your tailgate by calling 405-495-1722 or visit chapelsupply.com. That's C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L supply.com. And First Fidelity Bank knows how to keep fans like you happy. With more than 50 awards in the last five years, including Forbes Best in State Bank, the Oklahoma's Community Choice Awards, and the Journal Records Reader Rankings, it's clear that they are Oklahoma's number one pick for quality banking. And you can find that level of outstanding service in everything FFB offers. Open an account at award-winning bank today at ffb.com. First Fidelity Bank, we go where you go. And head to opolisclothing.com for our podcast merchandise and the best OU gear out there. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off. Buttery soft and 10% off. From my winner of the week, thought about going with Arkansas football. God bless you, Sam Pittman. Bringing back Bobby Petrino as the offensive coordinator. My timeline was strictly pictures of him in that neck brace after the motorcycle accident. (laughs) It was, I mean, it was so great. I love it. College football. It's so entertaining, man. And remember, Petrino was doing a great job before he got fired for that whole thing. He was 21 and five as the head coach at Arkansas. This makes Arkansas more entertaining. It makes college football more entertaining. I'm all about it. Let's go. Do you show up to the first press conference on a Harley? With a neck brace. With a neck brace? And then you rip it off like a like a like a pro wrestler. Oh, uh, that's good. That is it's fantastic. But my winner of the week, and it kind of connects to what you said about the portal, Ted. Will Howard. Mm. Will Howard. 
has entered the transfer portal guy that has started a ton of games for Kansas State over the last four years, led them to a Big 12 title last season, has gotten a lot of criticism from that fan base at times, has had a very up and down, especially early in his career, has had a very up and down career there at Kansas State. But he's my winner of the week because this guy, he's the guy we suggested should move to tight end two years ago. He's leaving K-State as the all-time leader in touchdown passes in school history, and now he is going to have a bidding war for his services on his hands. Yeah, yeah, that's it's pretty wild. And experience, I what I kind of the maturity, the dual threat, everything that he brings. Uh, a lot of teams out there are going to love to have something like that, even if it is just a a quick rental to maybe bridge a, a gap year or two to, to, to get to a recruit or, or something else. But yeah, he's, he's going to draw some attention for sure. He's got a lot of intangibles that teams are going to like great size. He's got a good arm, high character guy, good leader, which also makes me think he could, he could end up just declaring for the draft. I know he hasn't ruled that out. I think it would be a day three pick if he decided to come out, but why not make a boatload of money in college football while you can and have one more year of college? Why, why not? And I think it's the portal's not open yet technically, but he's already put his graphic out. Everyone knows. I think it's a smart move by him to get the word out early so that he gets the attention before more quarterbacks decide to hop in the portal. I think yeah. it's smart getting, it's it's like he's the first one to free agency. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, get up on everyone's uh, draft board, so to speak, I guess, whenever you're, you're trying to figure out who you're going to ID out there. But there could be some interesting names hopping the transfer portal at quarterback. I mean, there used to be a – Hey, you might as well might as well go ahead and go to the NFL. You're not going to improve your draft stock. Like you're not going to be, uh, you know, an early round guy. There's reason to stay in college football these days. It's hard as a late round pick, especially at quarterback, to make rosters. You know, maybe you can get on the practice squad, but the practice squad don't pay like college football pays these days. No, you're right. So i I think you'll end up. Being the starting quarterback, it, I, I saw that Washington's interested, Louisville, Mizzou, Kentucky, Auburn. I, I mean, this guy is going to be a starting quarterback in the SEC next season, making like half a million dollars. Crazy. Sounds pretty sweet to me. Yeah. That's it's wild to think uh, five or six years ago that this is where we'd be. We'd think there's no way, but wow. Love it. You got a <laughs> capitalism, baby. Now, my loser. I'm glad it delayed this long because we may not have been able to hang on or pay for the quarterbacks that we had come through here. That's Yeah, that's <laughs> an interesting point. Uh, for my loser of the week, uh, thought about going with the Oklahoma City Thunder. <sighs> Lost a close one Tuesday night to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are very good this year, especially on the defensive end of the floor. But they lose 106-103. Would have loved to see them get the win because Anthony Edwards had the hurt. I think it was a hip 
didn't play the whole fourth quarter. It would have been, I would have loved to see the Thunder finish the job there. And I did not expect Troy Brown Jr. to be the guy to hit clutch buckets for the T-Wolves, but so is life in the National Basketball Association. I really wanted him to win that game. I don't like the Timberwolves for some reason. I just, maybe it's Rudy Gobert. Maybe it's Carl Anthony Towns. I'm not sure why. I just, I really don't like that team. It's strange. I didn't, I didn't see the game. It was weird. I saw Chet Holmgren trending on Twitter. And I went through and checked it out. And it was like equal parts. Chet Holmgren looks awesome. And Rudy Gobert totally locking down Chet Holmgren. So I couldn't really get a good, accurate description of what went on. I I would not say Rudy Gobert locking down Chet Holmgren is accurate, but there's no doubt there were there were some struggles with Gobert's length at times. Chet did not shoot the ball well. I yeah, Rudy Rudy gave him a tough time. I'll admit it. I'll admit it. Dang it! Great defender though. What's going to happen? Yeah, but my loser of the week, the Carolina Panthers. My goodness. Now, they clearly have some issues on the field. Their loss to the Titans last weekend moved them to 1-10 on the season. Uh, Bryce Young, guy doesn't have a lot of playmakers around him, doesn't exactly have a tremendous offensive line protecting him. But all things considered, he, he has not looked good. He has not played well. And as a result of all of that, they have fired Frank Reich after 11 games as the head football coach there in Carolina. But Ted, this is the question I would like to pose to you. We know they've got, they've got issues on the field. Did the Carolina Panthers have an owner problem on their hands? Kind of seems that way. David kind of Tepper, seems- he bought the team in 2018. This is the third coach he's fired midseason. Yeah. They've had six. If you include interims. I've had six coaches since he purchased the team. Volatility is not a good thing whenever you're trying to develop a, a football team, program, franchise, and you really want stability. If you're going to invest a bunch of money in a young quarterback as a draft pick, you need to be able to have stability, surround them re- with resources, surround them with with a good system that they can continue to learn and grow in. Not every guy is is going to be a home run the day he stamp, steps foot uh, on the facility grounds. But, you know, I didn't agree with the pick whenever they took it. thought that there was going to be some serious issues there with Bryce Young. But I, you got to have some stability at the top. I mean – you got to create a good environment for a player to grow in. And right now, Carolina, Carolina is not a good environment for a player to grow. They should call Jim Harbaugh immediately. I don't know if he would take it, but they should call him immediately because, and I don't know that I could see Harbaugh. Harbaugh is a guy that has absolute belief in himself. Okay. He wouldn't care that the last three guys have been fired. He wouldn't care that Frank Reich's 11 games is the shortest head coaching tenure in the NFL in 45 years. He wouldn't care. He'd be like, okay, yeah, I can do it. How much money are you going to pay me? Like, I think that would be 
that would be a good hire, but there's some things that are not helping the Panthers either. CJ Stroud is playing so well. He's so yeah, good. Yeah. Looks, and, looks really good. And reminder, the Bears have the Panthers pick, which looks like it's going to be number one overall. Going to be Caleb Williams or Drake May, probably. And if those guys go on to have awesome careers or whoever they take with the pick goes on to have an awesome career, that's going to feel even worse for Carolina. But one exciting thing, Chris Tabor, interim head coach. He was the special teams coordinator when I was in Cleveland. Everyone loved that guy. So I, at least they'll be, uh, and I'm rooting for him. Maybe, maybe the the vibes will improve because Tabor was, he was a man of the people when I was in the locker room with him. Right. It's always best when the special teams coordinator takes over as the interim head coach. That's the, in my opinion, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. Birthday shout outs. Happy 62nd birthday to Carrie Apel. A Y P E L L. April Apel. I think it's Apel. I think you nailed it. Carrie Apel. Happy birthday, happy, Carrie. Happy birthday to Dr. Josh Robinson. Only two birthday shout outs. Did. How about that? On that note, episode 375 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop on Sunday. Just a reminder. You can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on Sirius X and Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a fantastic rest of your week. Have an awesome weekend. And until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. You always do, Obama. Take care of each other. Just one.